We like to say that, you know, COVID-19 did quite a bit of detriment, but also it provided an opportunity for us to really highlight some of these systemic and institutional issues that we've been talking about for years. Issues like health and housing disparities that face low-income families and communities of color. I'm George Bolarki, and this is Community Dialogues, a program for frank discussions about race, racism, and racial justice. Our guest today is Desmond Lewis, a co-founder of the Bronx Community Foundation, which is dedicated to creating a more just and equitable Bronx. Desmond, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, George, for the opportunity. You recently co-authored an opinion piece in City Limits with Wes Keynes of the Bronx Defenders that said, quote, The health crisis and daily injustices the people of the Bronx face today are a direct consequence of the decisions made by policymakers over the past several decades. What are among the decisions you think have had the most devastating consequences on low-income families and communities of color in the Bronx? Sure, and, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. I think less so the decisions that were made and more so the decisions that haven't been made are really sort of our, our, our key focus in, in the opinion piece, which is, you know, as we know, you know, the Bronx is, is one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse place in America, according to the 2010 census. Um, and with that diversity, you know, comes entrepreneurship, comes innovation. But unfortunately, you know, from a, you know, from a government support perspective, from a, a legal aid perspective, it comes with its challenges. And so, you know, you know, what Wes and I were looking to do is really sort of, you know, trying to put forward a request of the city to really focus on doing more in diverse communities like the Bronx, right? Which is when you look at, you know, recent COVID-19 statistics around funding, you know, the Bronx received a, an extraordinarily small percentage of government support, right? You know, there was, I think statistics are less than 3% of triple P funding went into the Bronx. That's a product of the diversity of our community, right? Being a, a very large percentage of immigrants. Uh, when you look at support around COVID-19 health related matters, you know, the Bronx, as you know, is, is one of the unhealthiest places in, in New York State. Um, and, and in terms of the health support we received, you know, let alone the fact that we, you know, we have a significant percentage of our community that are our frontline workers, you know, the proportion of that support was extremely small. Uh, when you look at sort of some of the legal aid related matters, which Wes is, is a lot more sort of capable to talk through, but, you know, our, you know we're one of the most policed places in, in New York City, right? And so with those challenges, we're really, you know, sort of imploring that the city, uh, as well as federal, you know, officials really look at doing more in communities like the Bronx and helping our community, uh, particularly during this challenging time. Can you talk to me more about the impact of COVID-19, what you're seeing in the Bronx right now? Sure. So, I mean, the Washington Post put out a very interesting article a couple of months ago, which called the Bronx COVID-19 capital of America. Really the story that no one is talking about. And when you look at the history, you know, you know, prior to COVID-19, which is really where we like to start a lot of our, 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 our perspective, is that the Bronx has been sort of, you know, at the bottom of prosperity across a number of areas that we would measure as, as, you know, as prosperity for a community. You know, I already talked about the health issues, you know, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which is, you know, the country's leading health organization, you know, it ranks all 62 counties in, in New York State. Uh, and the Bronx has been the 62nd unhealthiest place um, in all of New York State for many, many years. Uh, when you look at our small business community, uh, which is really the lifeblood of, of the Bronx, you know, the, you know, our small businesses have, you know, we've had 
and a resurgence in small business, but it hasn't really been the support that we would have expected prior to COVID-19. Uh, when you look at uh, the digital divide, which is a major focus for our, our foundation, you know, the Bronx has the highest percentage of residents without broadband, right? Uh, when you look at uh, other areas of prosperity, like food insecurity, you know, from a food insecurity perspective, the Bronx is the hungriest place in all of New York State. And all of these things, George, were prior to COVID-19. When you overlay COVID-19 to all of these, you know, unfortunate statistics, you know, it exacerbated a lot of the issues. So, you know, at the height of the crisis, we had more than 50% of our businesses closed. You know, we had, um, you know, COVID-19 being a respiratory disease, being, you know, the unhealthiest county in all of New York State, you know, we were two times more likely to pass away, you know, uh, bronchitis were two, like, two times more likely to pass away due, due to COVID-19 than anywhere else in the, in the, in the city. Uh, when you looked at our nonprofits, you know, we're truly a nonprofit community. The, the largest sector in the Bronx is the nonprofit sector. Um, nonprofits employ more people in the Bronx than any other sector. And when those nonprofits, were, which are doing fantastic work in our community, were shut down, major critical services were shut down. You know, when the DOE sent our students home, you know, because of the digital divide and the fact that we had, um, you know, over 35% of our community without high-speed internet or access to, to broadband and schools were closed as well as libraries and libraries are one of the main mechanisms people get on the internet. You know, our youth went home with 13 weeks worth of paperwork uh, and therefore they couldn't really study at home. But also when our residents were furloughed as a result of COVID-19, you know, they couldn't train at home. There was a, a huge, huge gap in the ability for our community to really prosper and really bounce back. And that gap still exists today. So COVID-19 really exacerbated these systemic and institutional issues that have existed for decades in the Bronx. So when we rebuild from COVID-19, how do we rebuild in a way that helps communities of color overcome years of systemic racism and inequity? You know, I, I'm very hopeful um, and for a number of reasons. You know, we, we like to say that, you know, COVID-19 did, did quite a bit of detriment, but also it, it provided an opportunity for us to really highlight some of these systemic and institutional issues that we've been talking about for years, but really hasn't been brought to the forefront. And so, you know, when you combine that with the, you know, with the, with the spark that happened over the summer around racial inequities across the country, of which we candidly believe, when you look at, you know, Black Lives Matter, when you look at I Can't Breathe, the Bronx is really the epicenter for a lot of those a lot of those issues that have been facing our community personally for, for many, many years. You know, we, we talk about Ahmed Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, you know, we had Amadou Diallo and a number of other, you know, unfortunate, you know, New York City residents and Bronx residents that were impacted. And so all of these things combined, we believe has created a unique opportunity for communities like the Bronx that have historically been disenfranchised to really be put at the forefront of getting the resources that we, 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 were, we deserve and we need looking at getting the support from public sector, looking at getting support from corporations. Um, and so we believe there is a unique opportunity for you know, our foundation and, and other CBOs in the community to really you know, try to get the resources that we need to really create you know, and build a more prosperous Bronx. And so we're extremely excited about the opportunities that our partners and our building across all of the areas of focus for, for our foundation. How did the Bronx Community Foundation come about for you? Um, so it's, it's a fairly long story, but, um, you know, my brother and I, we were born and raised in the Morris Heights area of the Bronx. And, um, you know, Morris Heights, um, you know, is known for a lot of great things, right? We have, you know, Roberto Clemente State Park. 
you know, it's a birthplace of hip hop music on Cedric Avenue, where my brother and I were, were born and were raised. Um, but you know, at the height of the crisis, you know, the New York Times did an article as well on, on River Park Towers, which is across the street from where we were born, uh, where we were raised, I should say, uh, where, you know, there was a lot of, you know, there was some of the largest spikes of COVID-19. And so my brother and I being born in Morris Heights, which, you know, as you know, you know, the Bronx is, you know, the most impoverished place in, in America, according to the 2010 census, we wanted to do our part to really give back to a community that has given us more than, than we could ever give it. My brother and I call ourselves products of philanthropy because we were, we were born and raised in the nonprofit sector. You know, there were a number of nonprofits, great nonprofits in the Bronx and in the city that really took us under their wing and created an opportunity for us um, to really go to really, you know, really good uh, educational uh, schools um, and then, you know, propelled us into, into, you know, into great careers. And so when my brother and I had the time, means and resource to do so, you know, we decided we wanted to give back in a way that was non-traditional. You know, we were blessed enough to sit on a few nonprofit boards. You know, we, we volunteer, we mentor Bronx youth, um, but we knew that those things really aren't gonna move the systemic needle and the challenges that we face in the Bronx. And so we looked to identify opportunities to do, to do more. And we came across the, the concept of a community foundation. Um, and you know, we were surprised to see that the Bronx, you know, arguably the community most in need did not have a community foundation. Um, you know, Brooklyn has one, Staten Island has one, uh, you know, several other boroughs have a few. And so we created the Bronx Community Foundation really as a, a vehicle to uh, bring collaboration, to bring place-based resources um, and bring strategic advisory and really promote the Bronx, a place that's given the world much more than the world actually knows. And so, so that was really sort of our view as to why we wanted to, to do something different and why we wanted to create an organization that can really, you know, bring, bring the resources the entirety of the Bronx needs. You know, a lot of philanthropic resources go into the Bronx, but quite often you'll see that they go to a particular place or they go to a set of organizations. And we want to expand the pie and really bring resources across the community, across to as many CBOs and bring sort of the, you know, strategic advice to bring collaboration to solve the systemic issues that our community faces that no single organization can, can solve. And so that's really, that's really the reason why and what we're trying to do with the Bronx Community Foundation. Being that your father was a civil rights activist, how many conversations did you have growing up about these issues, the issues that we're talking about now in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement? It was all, it was every day. Uh, my brother and I, our fondest memories were actually being on construction sites, watching our father pick it. Um, and it was called shaping back And Many people may not know what this is, but shaping was a term back in the 70s where you basically, you know, a, a group of, of, of minority construction workers would literally just show up in, in mass to a construction site and literally disrupt, you know, the construct. It was like the, the predecessor for the rat. The, the union rat where, where you put it in front of a, a building to try to demonstrate that that there's inequities. Um, they basically did that. And my brother and I grew up on construction sites. Every day after school, we would meet our father on a construction site and watch him and a, and a number of his colleagues, you know, pick it and, and shape on construction sites. And so, you know, if, if it wasn't there, we were running around the halls of Bronx Lebanon Hospital or another hospital with our grandmother and our aunt who really raised us while our mother was at at work at the sanitation department. And so really it was a part of the fabric of, of who we are every day and, and what we saw growing up. And it was just a no brainer for, it was innate really for us to really give back in, in a way that we, we, we thought would be impactful. All right, Desmond, anything else you would like to add 
related to this or your work at the Bronx Community Foundation? No, I mean, just to, to thank you for the opportunity, uh, you know, would, would very much welcome everyone getting involved, um, you know, in, in what we're trying to do. You know, our website is, you know, thebronx.org, you know, www.thebronx.org. You know, we've, we're focusing on sort of eight core areas of need, which you'll find on our website, uh, you know, from food insecurity to nonprofit to education, um, you know, to technology, closing the digital divide. You know, we, we truly need the support of the entirety of the community to work with us to solve some of these systemic and institutional challenges that we've faced for decades. We have a moment now. Uh, and we really need everyone to get behind each other to try to solve these issues. Desmond, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. A big thanks to Desmond Lewis of the Bronx Community Foundation. And that's it for this edition of Community Dialogues. I'm George Boldarki. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. Thanks so much for listening.